Hello and welcome to Washoe Life. This is the podcast from Washoe County where we meet the interesting and inspiring people who make life in Washoe County so interesting. I'm your host, Bethany Drysdale, and I'm joined today by a very special co-host, Kelly Echeverria. Welcome. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I am the county emergency manager and uh, originally from the East Coast. I don't know how far you want me to go back. (laughs) Tell me about your... No. Um, But you are um, the first female emergency manager in Washoe County. Yes, in Washoe County. In Washoe County. And that's pertinent to today's conversation because it is Women's History Month. And we are talking about some areas that are traditionally male-dominated. I'm curious to explore if that's still the case. Nevada was among it was the first state to have an all or a female majority legislature very recently. So uh, I'm excited for this conversation. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. It should be amazing. It should be amazing. So along those lines, I want to talk a little bit about people who have inspired us. Um, my first boss when I worked for the state of Nevada uh, was Chris Crystal. Um, she was the first female on air news reporter in Las Vegas back in like the 60s. She had to be meaner and louder and tougher than all the men to keep up. And she was not well respected by the men around her, from what I have heard. Um, she had to carry all her own equipment. Nobody would help her carry anything because if she's going to play with the big boys. She's going to act like the big boys. Uh, that wasn't that long ago. And that lays the trail for me to eventually get into news. Uh, many women like me who don't even think of that as being um, an experience. We just... I want to be a journalist. Okay, I'm going to be a journalist, not realizing that somebody had to fight for that. Um, In your role, Kelly, have there been people like that in your life that have had to blaze that trail for you? Sure. Um, My grandmother started the OSS, which is the predecessor to the CIA. So that's that's what I started with. (laughs) Okay, you got to be like live up to that. Um, And then uh, my mom went from, you know, she didn't even have a college degree, but was able to work her way up to um, working at the top of Lockheed Martin, which was very impressive. Um, And then, you know, brought me along, (laughs) along the way and introduced me to all kinds of people um, in her office and in her life that were inspiring. And then when I moved here, I was working with the Red Cross and worked with incredible women. Um, Clara Andriola, who now works with uh, Reno Rodeo Foundation, um, and Charlotte Garber, who uh, is a retired sheriff's deputy. I reported to both of them, and they were amazing at bringing you up with them and teaching you everything you needed to know to be successful. I, I did not know that about your, your mom and your grandmother. Uh, so we are joined today. Our guest is Courtney McKimmy. I met her when she worked uh, for the Lieutenant Governor, then Lieutenant Governor um, Kate Marshall. Um, but welcome first, Courtney. Thank you for re- being here with us. And please tell us who you are and a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you for having me here today. Um, as you said, my name is Courtney McKimmy. Uh, I'm currently a project officer with the Nevada Army National Guard and also a first lieutenant scout platoon leader with the cavalry unit, um, born and raised in Nevada. I grew up down in Garnerville and have been here in Reno for the last eight years now. And I'm just really happy to be here. And thank you for having me. And it's good to see you. Uh, You know, I remember working very closely with the Commission on Tourism and working closely with you and just always enjoyed those opportunities. 
we had some fun in tourism. There may have been a couple of, um, I remember one particular, um, was it skeet or trap shooting out in Fallon? That was that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. We went trap shooting in Fallon for a rural roundup. And yeah. uh, thank you for organizing that and inviting us. Uh, it was a good time to have the lieutenant governor out there shooting uh, shooting the clay pigeons. Yes, absolutely. Um, so when we were talking about doing this episode, you came to mind because um, you have been in areas that are traditionally male-dominated, um, campaigns, politics, uh, working for lieutenant governor for state government, really, and now in the military. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, Nevada was one of the first states to have a female majority legislature, and we still do at 60 percent, still leading in the nation in that regard. And when you look at other forms of government, our state Supreme Court is majority woman led. Uh, the city of Las Vegas, the city of Reno, city councils, uh, majority women members. Um, so, you know, Nevada is a little bit unique, I think, in changing that narrative of what a male-dominated so-and-so political industry looks like here. And, you know, historically, that's not the case, but Nevada seems to be kind of leading the charge, which is very exciting to see and was especially impactful during my time in state government. You know, I started at the state in 2019 during that first legislative session where we had the first woman majority. Um, and it was a little bit different to see the conversations we started to have around policy topics and budgetary priorities and considerations. So it does make a difference. When we're thinking about the military aspect of my career, I am definitely in a male-dominated career field. Uh, you know, I'm an armor officer, which is a combat arms MOS, and only the second woman officer to hold that position in, this, uh, in the Nevada Army National Guard. Um, but that's mostly because it wasn't until 2016 when women could even join those combat uh, arms occupations. So, you know, we're slowly changing that, but it's going to take as much time as it has with our state legislature to really achieve parity. I did not realize it was that recent. 2016? Really? Yeah. 2016 was um, when they first started letting women go through the, the training aspects for it. And, um, you know, a little bit slower adoption across the National Guards just because we're smaller units. Um, we have fewer, you know, pipelines into the officer corps um, as compared to our active duty counterparts. So did you have to be louder, meaner, faster, <laughs> fatter than, than the men? I would say sometimes that's the, that's the way you have to go. But most importantly, you have to just be extremely competent at your job and, and show and demonstrate on a daily basis that, I deserve to be here. I am just as good as my my male coworkers, and uh, in the military, it always helps to be loud. And <laughs> so you you have to take take space and not be afraid um, to make yourself known and to have your presence felt, um, especially as a leader. That's one of the most important things, and it's something they drill into you from basic training all the way through officer candidate school. Is about having presence, competency, and also just a dedication to always constantly improving and not a being not being afraid to make mistakes. For me, that's been the biggest lesson is I can't be afraid to make mistakes. And if I do make a mistake, I have to learn from it and carry on. And I think if you take that lesson and apply it to any career field, you'll be successful. And Kelly, I saw you nodding through all of that. That sounds like that resonates. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, when I started in emergency management in Nevada, it was the good old boys club. It's what they called the meeting that I went to. Um, pretty regularly. And now I run that meeting, but um, it was all men and I was the only woman there. And it that was pervasive throughout emergency management. And you had to know what you were talking about. And 
be confident enough to speak up and be willing to ask questions exactly what you said, be ready to be wrong, but pivot and move forward. So, uh, Courtney, um, when I saw um, on Facebook, actually, that you were um, going into the National Guard, I was like, what? Where did this come from? How do you go from traveling the state with the lieutenant governor to um, enlisting in the National Guard? Where did that come from? Yeah, it's always an interesting uh, conversation or uh, kind of chapter in that exactly what you called it a pivot. Um, I had always kind of seen myself joining the military ever since I was a kid. I think my dad would have preferred that I had gone to the Air Force Academy and became a pilot, but I wasn't really interested in doing that. And throughout high school and college, I, I talked with recruiters, um, but never really felt that, okay, this is the time. Um, you know, I, I always considered maybe I'd go to law school and become a JAG officer. Um, but once I graduated undergrad here at the University of Nevada, Reno, I started working full time and I kind of just assumed that chapter, that that component of whatever that that decision would have been like um, was kind of over for me. Um, and it wasn't until then Governor Sandoval was leaving office um, after his his last term. And in one of his final interviews, he said one of his biggest regrets was not serving in the military. And I read that and hearing that come from someone who I admired, who I thought had given a lot back to his community and served his state well and was a great example of a leader, that was one of his biggest regrets. And that kind of stunned me, honestly. And I thought, wow, I don't want to be fast forward, you know, a couple decades of my life and career and still and be saying that same thing. So at that point, I reached out to a recruiter. I made a plan of what that might actually look like in terms of how it would impact my career or complement my career with the lieutenant governor's office. And I went and told the lieutenant governor, uh, hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And she was nothing but supportive from day one. And, uh, you know, this was during the 2019 legislative session. And the day after the legislature adjourned, I went to MEPS in Sacramento and enlisted. And I was at basic training that following fall uh, on 10 weeks of leave from the state. No email, no phone calls, which was uh, a bit of a break at the time. <laughs> and it was uh, physically demanding, mentally taxing. But what I love the most about it and what I continue to love the most about the military is you get paired up with this incredible random cross-section of America. And within 24 hours, you are now living, breathing, eating, sleeping next to these people that you just now recently met. And over the course of 10 weeks, especially at basic training, you become best friends. You really forge these strong bonds um, in all in the name of service. And this camaraderie is just something that I fell in love with immediately and haven't looked back since. When I was in high school, I used to threaten my mom when she would make me mad. I'm going to go join the army. And she would say, no child of mine is going to be in the army. Not because she wasn't supportive of the army. She was just really terrified of the, of the thought of a child being in harm's way. <laughs> but now I, I'm Knowing you and, and other um, people who have served, it's just, it is such a, um, the camaraderie looks um, enviable and the, the sacrifice that you, that you make. Thank you for your service. I love how strategic you were in your approach. You're like, I made a plan. I spoke with these people. I got input and then I executed the plan. Very military. Yeah, I will have to say my poor parents, I, uh, while they've been extremely supportive, I was worried that they'd be concerned about my, my career at the time it was really starting to take off and how that might slow me down um, by joining the military. So I didn't tell them until after I had already signed the paperwork. Um, even though I knew they would be super supportive, I just said, I have to make this decision and I need to do it now. Um, 
And uh, but my poor parents, I, I had told the lieutenant governor before I told them. <laughs> parents can be scary. <laughs> parents can be very scary. Um, so were there women who blazed the trail before you as well in the military or um, in government? Yeah, I'd say sticking with the in the military side of my career, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Lieutenant Schumacher, who was the first woman in the Nevada Army National Guard to become an armor officer and is really the one that encouraged me and, and honestly recruited me into the unit um, and was always there whenever I had a question of, um, you know, what actually will I be doing uh, once I finish all my training? And, um, you know, she made sure to take extra time out of her day to to introduce me to folks, um, to answer any questions I had, um, and just as a mentor should guide me through the process. And um, without her, I don't know if I would have ended up becoming an armor officer. You know, looking back at the government side, we've obviously talked a lot about Lieutenant Governor Kate Marshall, and she has always led by example and was one of the reasons I loved working for her is uh, she gave her staff every opportunity to succeed or fail but was always there to support you uh, no matter what happened. And she also demonstrated to me what it's like to be in leadership as a woman at that caliber as a state constitutional officer. You know, she was previously previously the state treasurer, um, which, you know, financial management is not something we typically see a lot of women going into as a career field and then moving into executive leadership as the lieutenant governor of our state. Um, just day in and day out, I got to witness and have her guide me through that as well. It's important to, uh, you know, talking about mentors and people I've looked up to, my dad um, has always encouraged me to do whatever I want with my life. He's never put me in a box, um, and both of my parents are the same way. But I, I don't know if I wouldn't have had his support and also him guiding me through, uh, you know, always pushing me to try new sports, try new learning paths, try different careers. Um, I think it's important that we have also male role models in our lives that that open up that space for us and push us into those opportunities. Absolutely. Um, now, you mentioned, um, again, on Facebook, and this is really embarrassing that so many of my friends I have to keep up with on Facebook because we're all busy with our lives. And, and you, of course, kind of the world now, right? It really. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. You posted a while back about... Um, the 10th anniversary of the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which I thought was really, really inspiring. Um, you and your fiancé now, right? Fiance. White. Wow, oh my yeah. gosh, I'm so sorry. You, you just did. celebrated our one-year anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, that That's another area, too, where in the military, I mean, things are moving really, really quickly. And even though 10 years sounds long, that that's a blip on the radar. So uh, what has that been like for you, that experience? Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, somewhat similar, I would say, to being a woman in combat arms. It's a transitional change within our organization, which is super important for ensuring that our soldiers can be all that they can be in our in our organization. For me personally, um, you know, it's my life is definitely easier because of the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, the Supreme Court decision legalizing same-sex marriage, because I can serve my country and community as my authentic self and not be worried about how who I love could possibly be a factor indicator of my ability to lead soldiers or accomplish the mission. Um, and more importantly, it's also, it allows my wife to actively participate in unit family events and our holiday parties, which is just as important as me feeling supported um, as, as my authentic self, because without her support, my job would be a lot harder 
And it's important for her to be able to understand what our unit does, what, you know, what our mission set is and who I'm spending a lot of time away from home with. And um, just all of that combined makes my service a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when that happened, I lived in San Diego at the time, which is very, there's a lot of military in San Diego, but there's also a couple neighborhoods that are LGBT um, focused, I guess. And so when that happened, there was literally dancing in the streets. I mean, it would turn into an impromptu pride. Everybody was just so excited. And you could see the relief on people's faces that they could live authentically. Um, of course, they weren't sure how it was going to roll out in actuality. But um, that that fear that they had was gone. And, um, you know, some friends of mine were in the closet at work because of that. And it was such a such a challenge for them that um, I think it, it was definitely a phenomenal step forward. And I'm glad to hear that it's still rolling that way. And when we asked you to, to be on this podcast, your um, superiors were very supportive of you being here and, and talking about what it's like to be a woman in the military, what it's like to be out in the military. Um, is that um, unusual in the military? Is that Nevada's take on, on freedom? What is that? I wouldn't say it's unusual at this point. I think, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier at basic training, that it's a perfect cross-section of America and our our people. I think that's the case across our forces. You know, I've gone to active duty installations. I was at Fort Benning in 2021 um, at training with act- my active duty counterparts. And it's the same there. And um, I think it's important that the Army recognizes the rich diversity it has within its ranks and, um, you know, me being able to be here today is just an example of how important it is also for leadership to cultivate that and to highlight that and to support um, our the diversity across our soldiers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so really the bottom line for what, um, what we're here today about is I have two daughters, so I'm selfishly speaking to them. Um, Kelly, you have a daughter. I do. How old is she? She's five. She's five. The world's going to be different when they're facing career choices and they're um, deciding what they want to do. Um, I never really thought about the people who had to um, break down barriers before me, other than my mentor that I mentioned, Chris Crystal, and other influ- influential women in my life. Um, but we've come a long way. What words of advice or encouragement would you give to your five-year-old, to my teenagers, um, to other girls who may be listening to this? Um, I would say, you know, have integrity. That takes you so far. Um, if people can trust you to make the best decision that you're going to be able to make with what you have, that means so much. Um, and then also, like we've said, you know, know your stuff um, because you're going to be tested. So it's important to study whatever your field is or um, the nuances of whatever meeting you're walking into. Um, so that you're better prepared and you have that confidence to answer anything that might come your way. And then again, like we mentioned, you know, don't be afraid to be wrong and admit that and ask questions. Um, I've seen so many powerful women just ask a ton of questions. Um, and it's something that I try to do as well. But I want I don't want my daughter to ever be afraid to ask questions or to speak up or to um, have to hide who she is. What about you, Courtney? What would you say? I would say very similarly, um, most importantly, be authentic. 
I think it took me a while um, starting early on in my career that I had this image of I have to be like this person. And as soon as I realized, no, I can just be myself and uh, be just as successful, uh, just it, it released a lot of stress and um, kind of boxes I'd put myself in. So I would say, first of all, lead with authenticity. And at the end of the day, it helps you build better relationships with those you are working with and mutual respect of others. Um, so that that would be mine. I love that because what did Dr. Seuss say? No one is youer than you. Exactly. And people will appreciate you for that. Absolutely. I would say um, sitting at the table, this is something that Chris Crystal told me 20 years ago. You're in a meeting. You sit at the table. You have every right to be at the table. And then I saw that later in Lean In, and um, that's a, a great book for women. It, it caused some controversy. Some people um, don't agree with some of the, um, the advice, but I think sitting at the table is my number one piece of advice. Um, and I can brag on my boss because she's not here. Nancy Lewenhagen will say the same. You know, you you walk into a meeting and you have just as much right much right to be at that table and you sit there. You don't sit, you know, in the chairs in the back. You sit at the table that you were invited to. And um, that's what I tell my kids. <laughs> right. Take up space. Yes. Yeah. Don't shrink. Um, I really, really appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, Courtney. Thank you for, for coming in, Kelly, and, and co-hosting on this early morning. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. And to all the girls out there who may be listening, uh, keep up the good fight. We've still got a little ways to go, but I, I'm proud of where, where we're headed. With that, it's this is the Washoe Life Podcast. Thank you for listening. Until next time.